turn with me, please, to the living word of God, to the book of Genesis, and the chapter 18. The book of Genesis, and the chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, the opening part of this chapter, we have Abraham being visited by the Lord and two servants of the Lord. Those servants will be sent by the end of the chapter to Sodom to see its destruction. But before we get to the destruction of Sodom, in verse 17, the Lord speaks to his two servants and we read these words. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Amen. We'll end the reading at verse 19. As that testimony that the Lord gave Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Let us bow in a word of prayer. And while I am praying audibly, could I encourage you in the stillness of your heart to ask the Lord to bless your life and bless your heart this morning. Let us all pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we continue to look at this very solemn and Lord in many ways incomprehensible subject of parenting and all that it entails. Father, I ask that you would be pleased to give grace and help. We thank you for the testimony of this man, Abraham. And Father, we pray that that would be the testimony of each and every one of us this morning. That we would be known as those who are faithful. Father, we thank you for the parents in this congregation. We thank you for the grandparents in this congregation. We thank you, Father, for those who in time will be made parents. And I ask thee, Lord, that you would be pleased to give us grace to be faithful. Help us as a church, whether we're a parent or not, to be praying that in all the teaching of those who are children in this congregation, whether it be in the Sabbath school, the children's meeting, Father, whether it be even there with the youth fellowship, Lord, that we as thy people would be faithful. And they ask thee, Lord, that thy wouldst be pleased to raise up in this area a generation that will know thee, be strong in thee, and do exploits for thee. To that end, Father, for godly families, we ask that you would be pleased to give grace. Fill me afresh the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you for the promise which thou hast given. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. We thank you for the promise that Christ has purchased every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We thank you for the promise that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more, Father, will I give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So I'm asking now to fill me afresh with thy Holy Spirit. 
to bring to my mind afresh the words I was having to say. And that thy word, not the word of a man, but that thy word will go forth clearly and powerfully to the building up and advancement of Christ's kingdom, the satisfaction of his soul, and the merits of the blood that he shed and the life that he lived. We ask these things. Have a word in season for every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Many this morning will know the name Henry Ford. Henry Ford was originally a farmer, inheriting a farm from his father, and he farmed just to support his family. However, while he was a farmer, he was a very gifted engineer. Even if he was young, at the age of 13, he would take apart his watch and lead that of some other family members and friends, and then rebuild them. Very gifted with his mind, even as an engineer. And by the age of 15, Ford was one who built his first steam engine. Beginning later on in life to develop and build cars, he was stopped because he was deemed unlicensed as a manufacturer of cars. However, upon appealing the decision, he was allowed to manufacture cars, and he went on to build a number of them. While Henry Ford was not the inventor of the car, yet he was one who was leading the way in bringing the affordability of cars and the price of cars down. In fact, one of the models that he produced originally came out at just short of $1,000, but yet over the years he'd bring that down to $290. Henry Ford was a very gifted engineer, a very gifted inventor, and a very gifted businessman. In his life, he would raise over $188 billion, and he became one of the richest and well-known people of his time. But the one thing that Henry Ford is renowned for is his developing of the assembly line, of getting people to focus on one thing at a time. Instead of people trying to do 20 jobs, just get them to do one job. Get them to be a master at that job and to do that one job well. And the development of that assembly line, he was able to bring not merely a quality product, but an affordable product. Speaking to a person one day, Henry Ford said these words, A weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. He went on to say, that scatters effort and destroys direction. Trying to do too many things at once makes for haste, and haste makes waste. Henry Ford went on to say to the same person, every now and then I wake up in the morning, and I am headed toward that finality of trying to do too many things at once. And he says, I know I cannot do them all at once. And whenever he's asked, well, what do you do in such a situation when you're confronted with so many things you need to do and want to do? He replied, I go out and trot around the house. While I'm running off the excess energy that wants to do too much, my mind clears and I see what can be done and what should be done first. One of the things that made Henry Ford a man what he, that he was was focus. Those things that needed to be done first those things that were a priority, those things that needed preeminence and focus, that's what he would place his energy and his efforts upon. And as we continue this series of looking at the subject of parenting, for us that are parents, there are so many things to do in life, so many places to be, 
so many tasks to accomplish, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in the home, looking after the house, whether it be in the church, whether it be in other spheres of life. And even if it comes to being a parent, there's so many aspects. For those that have young children, there's a feeding of them and changing of them. For those that are older as well, whether every age of children are, there's comforting them whenever they're unwell, providing for them, teaching them, directing them, supporting them, encouraging them, correcting them, praying for them, disciplining them, mentoring them, counseling them, leading them, and so many other things. Being a parent is extremely busy. And yet what I trust will be of help to not only me this morning, but to every one of us, is to try and focus things down. What are the preeminent things? What are the primary things for us who are parents? What are those things that we need to focus on? What is our primary roles and responsibilities as a parent? And while, of course, there's a direct application to those who are parents, yet also is application to all of us. Because if you are not a parent, but yet you're a friend of somebody who's a parent, this is what you can encourage them towards. Indeed, all of us as a church can pray that those who are parents in this congregation, that they will have this focus and this mindset. That they'll not get distracted, they'll not get waylaid, but they'll be focused on what God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. Joel Beakey, a North American pastor and preacher, in his book, Parenting by God's Promises, summarizes the role of parents to be threefold. To be a prophet. That is, to teach your children the Word of God. That was the role of the prophet. To be a priest. To intercede for your children before the throne of God. And then to be a king. To lovingly lead and govern your children in light of the law of God. Whenever you and I come to Genesis chapter 18, in verse 19, the Lord himself gives this testimony of Abraham. For I know him, God says, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. God knew that the descendants of Abraham would be taught the way of the Lord. How could they walk in that way unless they were taught that way? Abraham would be, as it were, a prophet in his own home, teaching his children the way of the Lord. Abraham would also command his children. He would govern them, as it were, as a king in his own house, to walk in the way of the Lord, correcting them, disciplining them, steering them in the way that's right. But he would also be a priest. Because how could they keep the way of the Lord unless their hearts were changed by the Spirit of God? Unless Abraham interceded for his family, prayed for his family, and saw his family converted and changed. And so while in the Old Testament we read about those three offices of prophet, priest, and king, while Christ is the absolute fulfillment of that, he is the perfect prophet, he's the perfect priest, he is the perfect king. Yet there is, in one sense, this responsibility given to parents within the home to be a prophet to your children, to teach them the Word of God, to be a priest, to intercede before the throne of God for them, and indeed to be a king, to govern them, to lead them in the way according to the law of God. To be like Abraham, and indeed to have his testimony. And this morning I want to simply look at the subject of teaching our children. That role of being a prophet, teaching our children the Word of God. 
And notice with me, in relation to that subject, a number of things. Notice with me, first of all, that you and I are to teach our children purposefully. Why is it that God gives us children? Of course, children are a gift from the Lord. They're a joy. They're a delight. They're a privilege. But children are not an end in and of themselves. They're given to us for a purpose, for a means, for an ultimate end, a greater end. In the book of Psalms 127, if you want to turn with me there, we are told that children are in heritage of the Lord in verse 3. And then in verses 4 and 5, the reason why they're given to us is that we will be stewards. Children do not belong to us in that sense. They're a gift from God. They belong to God. But as parents, we are stewards that by the grace of God, they will become arrows in the hand of a mighty man. You used to go and to speak with the enemies in the gate and seek the advancement of the work of God. Last week, we noticed not only Psalm 127, but we also noticed Psalm 128. And in verse 1 of Psalm 128, we're told, Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. And in verse 3, While the one who fears the Lord and walks with the Lord and walks according to his word, in verse 3, we read that his wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the side of his house, but we read that his children will be like all the plants round about his table. And we notice that this is the desire of the Lord. An olive plant being one of the most precious plants in all of Israel. It symbolized three things. Peace with God. Remember, whenever God had sent the flood, how was it that no one knew that there was peace with God, that the floods had receded, that the wrath of God had been pacified and satisfied? It was never the dove brought the olive branch, the leaf from the olive branch. You see, olive trees and an olive plant speaks of peace with God. An olive plant in the prophets was used of the people of God to refer to those who are being cultivated by God and shaped by God. And indeed then in Zechariah, those who are empowered by God. This is what God desires. The children are given to us that we will be assured that we will teach them the way of the Lord. And that by the grace of God interceding for them and governing them and leading, that they will come to know the Lord. That they'll have peace with God. That they'll be cultivated and shaped by the Spirit of God. And that they will be empowered in the service of God. You see, ultimately, the reason why children are given are that they will bring glory to God. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat whatsoever you do, and that therefore includes parenting, do all to the glory of God that God will be seen to be glorious in the sight of your children, and that they will then live for the one who is glorious. That he is the one full of majesty, the only one worth living for. Or indeed, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, we're told that all things have come from God, and they're all of God, but they're for God and for his glory. So whenever we are teaching our children, as we are commanded to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6, That, be, that they'd be converted, that they'd be shaped and molded by the Spirit of God through His Word, that they would indeed be empowered by the Spirit of God and used in His service. If you and I are ever to teach our children and teach our children effectively, we must have a vision of what we want our children to become. Not just going through day after day after day, just as it were stumbling through the day, but to have a clear vision, a clear mindset, a clear purpose why am I teaching what I'm teaching? Not just to 
fulfill a duty that God's given, but to do it with a purpose. That my children, if they do not know the Lord already, that they will come to know the Lord. And that will impact how we teach. That they will love the Lord. That they'll be obedient to the Lord. That they will live for the Lord. That the Lord will always be set before their eyes. That they will live for Him who's worthy of all their lives. The reason why God gives our children, gives us children, is for His own glory. And therefore, whenever we're teaching our children, being prophets to our children, as Abraham was given that testimony of commanding his children in the way of the Lord, that we'll do it without purpose, for the glory of God. If you want to turn me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. In light of this purpose that you're given, and I am given, in Hebrews chapter 12, Having been told about the many heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Godly men, godly women, faithful to God, used by God. In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, we're told, Wherefore, in light of all these people of faith, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In this passage, having been told about the many heroes of faith, the Apostle Paul likens the believer in the present day to be like one who's in an auditorium, like an Olympic auditorium, and there you would have the race, the, the area for the racing and for the running and for the, the fighting and all the rest of it. And there you would have in the auditorium around all the witnesses. And the apostle speaks about this great cloud of witnesses of men and women in the past who've been faithful to God, who served God in their own generation, and who've passed on the truth of Christ and of his salvation to the next generation. They're seeing their faithfulness, seeing their service for God, seeing their sacrifice, seeing those who, of whom this world was not worthy, that we ought to lay aside every weight, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what the effort, seeing what these people have done, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside that sin which does so easily beset us, distract us, and way lead us. And let us run with patience. Let us run with endurance, that is. Whatever the difficulty, no matter what the sacrifice and the cost, let us run day by day the race that God has set before us. Not only seeing the witnesses, but looking straight ahead, looking at Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Christ who has not merely saved us and worked in us, but entrusted us with the gospel that we would pass it on to the next generation. You see, in Exodus chapter 20, we read of God's desire for his mercy to be shown to a thousand generations. We saw last Lord's Day how God desires to work from generation to generation, not merely in every generation, saving a people unto himself, but to work also from generation to generation. Work through his people. Raising up children that will know and love the Lord. And so let us see the godly heritage that God has given us. Let us see those that feared the Lord, those that loved the Lord, those that are zeal for the Lord, those that endured for the Lord, those that were faithful to the Lord, those that worked for the Lord. Let us see what they have done to pass the gospel on to us that we would know it today. And let us ultimately see 
the price that Christ paid for us at Calvary with the blood that he shed, the very Son of God loving us, and let us therefore run with patience and endurance the, what he set before us, and to teach our children, to teach our children the glorious gospel, laying aside all the weights, laying aside all the sins, laying aside everything that will hinder us, and let us be focused, teaching our children of Christ and his wondrous salvation. You and I ought to teach our children purposefully, to wake up and to remember I have a duty today as a parent. Yes, as a husband and as a wife, but I also have a duty here as a parent, a privilege as a parent, to teach my children the things of God, that they would know him, that they would love him, that they would grow in him, that they would live for him. He would be set before their eyes every moment of every day, directing them and inspiring them to live for him. And notice with me, second of all this morning, not only are we to teach our children purposefully, but we are to teach our children authoritatively. You want to turn with me again, please, to the book of Genesis, in the chapter 18. Genesis, in the chapter 18, in verse 19. The testimony that the Lord gives of Abraham is this. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Notice with me here that Abraham had an authority in the home, but he used that authority. Not, may I say, as some tyrannical dictator, but in love for the Lord who had given him children, and love for the Lord who had called him to be a steward, and love for his children that they would know the truth, and that they would walk in the truth, and be used of God. He commanded his children in the way that was right. You think of what a prophet is. He was the one who would come and declare, Thus saith the Lord. The prophet would be the one who would declare the claims that the Lord has upon the life of those to whom the prophet was speaking. Some people think that indoctrinating their children is wrong. But I want to tell you that indoctrinating your children, that is teaching them the Scriptures, teaching it in love, teaching it according to what God has said, declaring to, their to your children the claims of Christ upon their lives, that is biblical and that is right. You see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read about the testimony of Timothy. That even as a child, he was taught the Holy Scriptures. His mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, had not turned around and said to Timothy, do you want to know the Scriptures? Do you want to hear the Scriptures? Do you want to go to a place where the Scriptures are being taught? No, they taught Timothy. With the authority they had been given, they taught Timothy the Scriptures. They taught Timothy about the one through whom Timothy must and needs be saved, Jesus Christ. They taught Timothy the means through which he would be saved, and that is by faith. And the Apostle Paul, taking that example, he goes on then in verses 1 through to 5 of chapter 4, and he used it to Timothy as a minister. But why the application in chapter 4 is to a minister, yet surely it also applies to parents. Verse 2, to preach the word, to present Christ, to do it in season and out of season. And even if people... They have itching ears and they don't want to listen and they're going to turn their ears from the truth, yet still present Christ. Do it with prudence, do it with wisdom, do it with love, but present Christ. Never give up teaching of Christ. 
declaring him, proclaiming him, and doing it with all long-suffering, doing it with endurance, doing it with love. You and I are to teach our children the way of the Lord as Abraham did. You and I are to teach our children of Jesus Christ and his glorious salvation as Lois and Eunice did. Whenever you and I teach Scripture, we should teach all of Scripture. You see, again, in the light of the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Timothy being taught the Scriptures, Paul goes on to apply that, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not just one or two books. It's not just one or two passages. It's not just one or two biblical stories, as it were. No, teach all of Scripture, Timothy, because it's all profitable. And so, you and I as parents, we should teach all of Scripture. Oh, yes, you can teach all of Scripture in one day. You must not necessarily can do it even in all of one year. But yet, teach all of Scripture. Teach all the doctrines of Scripture. Teach that God is our Creator. And as our Creator, He has a claim upon our life. We belong to Him. We're not to live for self. We're not to live for sin. We're to live for the Lord who made us. Teach them who God is as their creator. Teach our children what God is like. Whenever we tell people that certain things are wrong, why are they wrong? You know, it's one thing to turn around and say, you know, that lying is wrong. But why is it wrong? Unless you can explain the reason why, unless you explain the actual foundational reason why lying is wrong and stealing is wrong and adultery is wrong, then there's no force behind it, no authority behind it. And therefore, that's why we must teach who God is. God is the one who made us. God is the one who is our purpose in life. But what is God like? Well, God is holy. God is the one who hates sin. That's why sin is wrong. God is the one who's true. That's why lying is wrong. God is the one who's faithful. That's why adultery is wrong. Explain who God is. Because that is the authority. That's the foundation. That's the source for why sin is wrong. Teach that God is good. That He's the one who provided man with every perfect and every good gift that they have. And therefore to rebel against Him is completely wicked and vile. Teach that God is just. He must punish sin. And that one offense against an infinite and an eternal God is an infinite and eternal offense. And that's why hell is what hell is. Teach them that God is just. He cannot ignore sin or turn a blind eye to sin because God is infinitely holy and eternally holy. And the sin against him is to create an infinite and an eternal offense. But also teach that God is gracious, that God is loving, that God's provided a way of salvation for men. Teach that God is wise. He's true. His way of salvation is perfect. His way of salvation can be trusted. The promise he's given can you can pit and stake your eternity as well as your life upon them. Teach them about God as their creator, but teach them what God is like. Teach them the gospel, their need of a savior, the supply of a savior. And teach them that they're saved through faith and not of themselves. Teach them that in light of it, they must surrender their all to Christ who loved them and gave his all for them. Teach them about the eternal heaven and glory with Christ forevermore. Freed from not merely from hell, but from the bondage of sin as well. Teach them the Word of God. We looked a number of months ago at family worship. 
And there the responsibility given to the parents to, to call together the family. Those that are still within the household to gather them together and to take time in the morning, to take time in the evening, to read the Word of God, to present Christ in the Word of God, to pray for one another, that God will be glorified in their lives, and then to sing praise to Him who has loved us and given us all for us. Teach our children purposefully to teach our children authoritatively. If our children are still within the household and they're still under our authority, teach with wisdom, but still teach. A number of weeks ago at the Youth Council camp there in the midst of the summer, we looked at the character of Cain in the Bible. I was speaking with somebody recently about it, and they were talking about the messes that they heard regarding Cain. But one of the first things we learn about Cain in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 4, is that he had many virtues. People think Cain was a very vile and wicked man, but did you know that Cain had many virtues? Out of all the different occupations he could have chosen, he chose to be a farmer. He worked hard in that because he had presented before God the very best of what he had. He worked hard in his work. It was a good work, a wholesome work, and he worked hard in it. But also it was a work that served other people. The food that he would have grown was not only for his own benefit, but it was for other people. He was one who cared for others. He worked diligently. He worked selflessly. Whenever he came to worship, he actually worshipped the Lord, didn't worship some false god. He also went to the place of worship. He didn't neglect it nor ignore it. He went to the place of worship, and he worshipped the Lord. He also worshipped sacrificially because what he brought to the Lord was not the least of what he could bring. He brought the very best of what he could bring to God and what he had made. Cain had many virtues. But yet the problem with Cain was whenever he came to worship God, he didn't worship God the way that God had prescribed. And more than that, the way that God prescribed was that God was worshipped by sacrifice. And the sacrifice points to three things. And therefore, three problems with Cain. Because the sacrifice speaks about the seriousness of sin, that Cain's sin deserved death. But Cain didn't think his sin deserved death. The sacrifice speaks not merely about the seriousness of sin, that sin deserves death, but it speaks about the Savior. That the Savior is the one who will be sent by God to pay the debt for our sin. And because Cain did not believe that his sin was so serious that it deserved his death, he didn't see the need of a Savior. And then the sacrifice also spoke about surrender. Giving your life a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord who has first loved you. But because Cain didn't see that his sin was serious, and that he therefore didn't need a Savior to save him from death as a result of his sin. He didn't feel he needed to surrender as all to God. He was fine just the way he was. Whenever you and I are teaching our children, we need to highlight to them these three things. That our sin is serious. That our sin deserves death. That it is utter rebellion against God. And as a result, we need a Savior. And there's only one Savior, Christ Jesus. And in the light of the fact that he's given us all to us, when he shed his blood at Calvary and left the realms of glory, we are to surrender our all to him. Give our all to Christ again and again every day, turning from sin, living unto him. We're to teach our children purposefully 
and that God would work in their lives. We're to teach our children authoritatively. I wonder, are we those that do such? Do we neglect the teaching of our children? Do we do it half-heartedly? Do we do it, do we do it casually? Do we do it without purpose, just thinking, well, I'll just do what I know I'm meant to do and just get over it? Or do we teach it with love? Teach it with, e with effort? You see, that's the third thing. We're to teach our children earnestly. The term for prophet in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew term navi. That term actually means to boil over. Not in the sense of anger. We know what it is to boil over in anger. The term navi, from which we get the term prophet, is to boil over in the sense of passion, earnestness, love. If you want to turn me, please, to Jeremiah chapter 20 briefly. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah was one who was hated by his country. He was hated by the people. He was hated by the leaders. He was hated by his own family. He'd be beaten. He'd be put in stocks. He'd be mocked. He'd be defamed, as we read in verse 10 of this chapter. Be put in fear on every side. But notice what, with me what he says in verse 9. Then, said, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I told the people the truth of Christ. I presented to the people the truth of Christ. I've done it in love. I've done it again and again. But they haven't listened. They hate me. They want to kill me. They mock me. They slander me. They defame me. They put me in fear on every side. But yet notice with me. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. He goes on to say, and I could not stay. Oh, yes, he was weary. Yes, he was tired. But he couldn't withhold the truth. And love for God, to love Him, and love for the people before Him, He boiled over with passion, teaching those to whom He was called the truth of Christ, pleading with them to turn from their sins and to turn on to the Lord. Whenever you teach, teach our children, children do, we do we teach it with love? Do we teach it with earnestness? Yes, with that purpose. Yes, with that authority. Yes, with that duty that God's called us. But do we teach our children with love? Do we show our children that we love them? No matter what age they are. Now, God's claims upon their lives are not some tyrannical claim, but it's a loving claim. And do we seek to show our children the love of God? Do we spend time with our children? Do we play with our children? Do we enjoy our children? Yes, we can provide this and that for our children and tell them, you go and play there, and you go do that there, and you go watch that thing. But do we spend time with them? Do we enjoy them? Do we sacrifice things for them? Do we compliment them whenever they're doing what's good and right? Do we listen to them? Because if you're going to care for somebody, if you're going to know what's going in their mind, what they understand, what they don't understand, you need to listen. Do you listen to them? Yeah, I listen to mine. In James chapter 1, verse 19, 
The exhortation is given, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Yes, teaching, of course, involves speaking, but it also involves listening. How can we expect to know where our children are, what they need to understand without listening to them? How can we expect our children to open up and explain to them the problems that they have in their life, the the struggles they're going through, the troubles that they have, unless we give them time to speak on a regular basis? Do we listen to them? Do we show we care? who they are and what they're going through. This is showing the love of God to them. Speaking the truth, teaching them, but doing it in love. Being patient with them. And they tell us they've done something that's wrong. They broke the vase. Or they damaged the door. And they drop paint on this or that. Do we lose our tempers and blow up? Or are we patient? Remember, God's the one who's forgiven me. And if you're sorry for what you've done, I'll forgive you. I'll send it away and I'll not bring it up again. You see, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, according to James 1 verse 20. But yet the showing of Christ in our attitudes, that's what works the righteousness of God. We're to teach our children for this purpose that they'll come to know the Lord and they'll live for the Lord. We're to teach our children authoritatively taking time, making time in the busyness of life to teach our children the things of God. We're to teach our children continually. Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Not only is this a clear command from God that we as parents are to teach our children, but it explains how we're to teach our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, here's the people of God being called to by the Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day, this is not a suggestion or a guideline, I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them. That is the commands of God, to love the Lord. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and upon thy gates. You see, we're to teach our children continually. Taking opportunity after opportunity, not just in those formal occasions of family worship in the morning and the evening, but moment by moment as we get opportunity to teach something regarding the Lord and who He is, to set before them the beauty of the Lord. They would see that God is not one to be running from, but He's one who they ought to run to. He's not some tyrannical dictator, but He's a loving Savior. He's the one who's pursuing them in love. He's the one who wants to forgive them. He's the one who delights in mercy. He's the one who's plenteous in mercy. He's the one who wants to change them, forgiving them and transform them. He's the one who wants to free them from the punishment of hell for their sin and indeed to free them from the bondage of sin that they may know the very reason for which they were created. He's the one who's pursuing them. Just as God pursued Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. Teach the children lovingly, passionately, earnestly, purposefully, authoritatively with the role and the authority that God's given you. Teach our children also prayerfully. It's one thing for children to understand the doctrine of the gospel to understand it in their head. But yet in Psalm 127, we read these words. Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord build the home. Except the Lord build the family. 
They labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. Oh, yes, children are in heritage of the Lord, but we must look to the Lord to build. We must look to the Lord to save. We must look to the Lord to sanctify. And therefore I ask myself and I ask every one of us who are parents, are we those that pray for our children? Oh, yes, teach them passionately and lovingly and earnestly and continually and with the authority that God's given us, not neglecting our responsibility, but do we pray for our children in light of the teaching that God would convert them and God would save them and God would change them and God would do the work that needs to be done in their life. Because except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. Teaching and prayer cannot be separate. They must go together. No point praying unless you're teaching. No point teaching unless you're praying. They both go together. Praying that God would bless his word. Knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation. That it's through the word that God will beget us. It's through the word that our eyes will be enlightened. And our souls will be converted. Oh dear parents, labor not. Labor not thinking that your labors are in vain. In Galatians 6 verse 9 we're told, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God's desire is that those that fear the Lord, that their children will be like those olive plants, peace with God, cultivated by God, grown by God, developed by God, and empowered by God. That's what God wants. Teach our children. Pray for our children. Teach our children not only continually, but consistently. You see, apart from teaching the Bible, we're also teached by our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul said that ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And while it's one thing to teach the doctrines and teach that Christ is worthy of everything, to teach that Christ brings joy and satisfaction, to teach that Christ is trustworthy, yet show that, parents, show that to your children. Show them that Christ is the one who's first in your life. No matter what it will cost you, no matter what sacrifice you'll have to make, you will put Christ first. Show that Christ is the one who needs to be gone to whenever you sin. Children will know your faults. My children know plenty of my faults. But whenever I sin, whenever I do what's wrong before them, I will tell them that I'm sorry. And I will pray before them. I'll ask the Lord to forgive me. And I'll look to the Lord's mercy. And I'll trust in the Lord's mercy. Show your children that Christ is the merciful God. Show them that Christ is the forgiving God. Whenever you sin, you're not to run from Christ. Let that sin bring you to Christ. And show your children that repented heart, that repenting heart towards the Lord whenever you fail Him. Show your children the joy that you have in Christ. The joy you have in attending the place of worship. You don't just go because of a, a duty. You don't go feeling it's a drudgery. You want to go to the place of worship. You want to worship the one who loved you and died for you. Whenever it comes to family worship, it's not, oh, come on, kids, we need to do that Bible reading thing again. No, come, come on. There's something I want to tell you about the Lord. Something I was thinking about today. And I was reading about it earlier on today and preparing. And I want to tell you about this. Isn't Christ wonderful? Whenever you sing, sing it with your heart to the Lord. Show the joy you have in Christ. You and I will fail much being parents. 
But yet, you and I are the ones who can look to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. You and I are those who can look to the Lord to change us and to transform us. And you and I are those who can look to the Lord and cry for that which the Lord delights in, that is to show us mercy, to withhold his wrath, and to give us that which we need that we'll become more like the Lord, that we will love him more, enjoy him more, and that we'll be empowered to be used by him more. Look to the Lord in all your faults. And look to the Lord for his grace and goodness because Christ has purchased every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Let me just conclude this morning and say that we are to teach our children holy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we're told, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. An admonition of the Lord. The term for nurture there is the idea of general training. And we've already noticed earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that the command is not only that we as parents ought to love the Lord with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but we're to teach our children to do the same. And so whenever you look after your children, teach them, yes, to love the Lord with their heart, but teach them to love the Lord with their mind. To develop their mental capacity, their mental abilities in, their, in reading and researching and studying and analyzing and thinking and applying, that they may use their minds to wherever God will call them to do that in the workplace or some occupation, but that they'll use that mind for God. That whenever it comes to learning and they're reading the scriptures and understanding more of Christ, that they'll be able to use the mind that they developed in their education to study the scriptures, to analyze the scriptures, to apply the scriptures to their lives. Whenever you're talking about the things of God to them, use that opportunity to develop their mind. Don't just tell them the truth. Whenever they come and ask a situation, you know, can I go do this, Daddy? Can I go do that place, Mommy? Say, well, what is the place you're going to? What's it going to be like? What are you going to do? Who are you going with? Ask them the question. Is this going to be good for you? Is this going to help you? Is this what God would like? Will God take pleasure? Get them to think through the truths themselves. Develop their mind. For those whom you give responsibility to teach, whether it be school teachers, whether it be in the church, show respect before your children of those whom you give responsibility to teach them. How can you expect their children to listen to those whom you give them, whether it be school teachers or children's meeting workers or whatever it may be? How can you expect your children to have respect for those if you're speaking badly about them and slandering them and belittling them and shaming them? No, speak with honor. Speak kindly. Pray openly for those whom you give responsibility over your children. Pray for them before your children. Support them. That your children will listen to the teaching that they're being given. Love, teach them to love the Lord with their mind. Teach them to love the Lord with their heart. Teach them to love the Lord with their body. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we're told that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So teach them not to abuse the body that God's given them, but to care for it, to develop it, to be fit, to be healthy as best as possible, to eat well, to engage in physical exercise, that their body may be fit and ready for the Master's use. Teach them, as Titus tells us, to adorn the doctrine of God the Savior. That in how they dress, it's modest. That they're mannerly, that they're hospitable, that they're polite, they're warm and they're kind. They engage in conversation, they work as a team, they're cleaning their appearance. 
and their personal hygiene. They show respect and honor to men that they're adorning the doctrine of God, their Savior. That they'll not hinder people and listen to them. But the people will be engaged to listen to them. The lesson of Christ. Teach them to love the Lord, not just with their heart, but with their body, with their mind, and with their strength. I wonder this morning, are you and I those that teach our children? Or are we casual, half-hearted, neglectful? Let us all, who are parents this morning, pray for the Lord to show us mercy, to show us grace, that we will teach our children right. And in spite of us, the Lord will take his living word and save and convert and empower and use our children. But for those who aren't parents, you pray for the homes in this church, that godly homes be raised up, that every young person, every child will be truly saved and their lives will be lived for the Lord. We're a family as a church. We're to pray together as a family, to pray for one another. Let us pray in this manner because it's for the glory of God and the advancement of his work. Let us bow in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask thee that thy words are pleased to take thy word this morning and in spite of me to let thy word live. We thank you, Father, for the responsibility that thou hast given to many in this church. Lord, to be parents and even to be grandparents. And I pray, Father, that you would give us all grace to be what you want us to be. That we would have the testimony of Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. We would be known as faithful. Oh, Lord, give us grace. Forgive me for my own sins and failures. Give us grace. That every one of the children in this congregation, Father, they would be like those olive plants. They would have peace with God. They would be cultivated and shaped and molded into the image of Christ. And Lord, that they would be empowered by the Spirit of God in service. Every one of them we plead, Lord, for thee. That you'll raise up a generation that will know thee, will love thee, be strong in thee, not blown about with every wind of doctrine. But Lord, will love thee and do exploits for thee. Raise up a generation, we plead. Make us all the churchly prayer warriors to this end. That even all those in this district around about, that they will come and see Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen.